Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my finest friends. Welcome back to Can I Have My Ball Back? Episode 3. I am Richard Herring, and this is a show about testicles, about my testicles, and my testicle, uh, and about my own brush with testicular cancer. But did I have it or didn't I? I'm not going to tell you yet, because that's part of the story. This is episode 3, which is one more episode than I ever had testicles, and two more episodes than I currently have testicles. Oh, what a giveaway. So far this series, we've heard from Charlie Borman and Dr. Sarah Kayat. Coming up in this episode, I am super excited to be talking with national treasure and grand national winning jockey, Bob Champion. There's a clue in his name to what he is. That's right, he bobs around. But before we get to that, let's revisit the story of my own balls. At the end of episode two, I'd been to have a scan on my suspiciously, unfeasibly large right testicle, and the scan had found an anomaly of some kind. My GP said that though they couldn't be sure what it was, the next steps would likely be surgery. But before that, a full body scan. Eight days later, I had a full body scan to see if the problem was contained in my ball sack or if it had spread its tendrils into my other organs. 
Even though I had a good reason to be at the hospital, once I got into the waiting room, I assumed everyone else there could tell I was a fraud. Nearly all the other patients were older than me, and many of them looked properly ill. A couple were on drips and in wheelchairs, and one person was being pushed around in a bed, barely capable of any movement, grey-skinned and gasping for breath. I was sitting with my laptop, looking perfectly healthy, if a little bit overweight, again, not an issue for many of the people in the room, uh, whilst trying to work out what news stories I could discuss with the scary antique ventriloquist dummy in my livestream puppet show that I'd started to do in the madness of lockdown. The NHS shouldn't be spending any time on me. Things were running, though, with incredible efficiency. My appointment was bang on time, and I was shown into the scanning room, which looked state-of-the-art and futuristic, allowing me to pretend I was in the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Total Recall. Uh, The technicians told me they were going to inject iodine dye into my bloodstream, making it easier for them to view my organs on the scan, but with the unusual side effect that it might make me feel like I'd peed myself. I wouldn't, however, have peed myself. I would only feel like I had. It sounded brilliant. I... I, I... (laughs) I couldn't wait to experience that. I wondered if the iodine served any other scientific function at all. These guys must get bored running what is basically a human photocopier, so it'd be a fun distraction, wouldn't it, to trick people into thinking they'd lost control of their bladders. Um, I vaguely remembered being told about the fake wing thing at a previous body scan I had a few years ago and then being disappointed that I didn't get to experience that sensation. This time, too, the procedure failed to do anything other than make my arm feel a bit uncomfortable from where they'd inserted the cannula. Where's my feeling like I've wet myself? I'd I'd gone to recall for the full immersive incontinence experience. It's It's one of the cheaper packages, but... I've got nothing. Someone should shut this place down. Disgrace. I noticed that the CT machine was made by Siemens, which is the the same company that makes my microwave and washing machine. I didn't know how to react to that. I wanted to be in a CT machine from a company that specialises in CT machines. What if they accidentally put one of their microwaves in the CT casing? What if they put me on the wrong spin cycle? Or someone had left a sock in and I came out pink. Uh, What if the hospital had bought this make of CT machine for the same reason I'd chosen them for my home appliances? Because I thought Siemens was a funny name. Uh, How immature were the administrators of this hospital? Absolutely pathetic behaviour. How could I trust anything about this whole procedure? As I lay waiting for the scanning to begin, I noticed on the part of the machine that was right above my eye line, there was a noticeable dent. I amused myself by wondering how that had happened. Uh, Maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger was about to get his original personality back in the machine and affected his escape whilst murdering a couple of innocent technicians. Or had someone neglected to take off their metal objects and they'd flown up through the machine at high speed, cutting through skin and bone. Maybe someone was so embarrassed that they thought they'd pissed themselves, they'd lashed out in a fury. There there has to be a story there, right? CT machines don't just get dents on them for no reason. And if you're waiting for things to start, something like that can really set your paranoia going. Were the NHS actually about to slice me up and make me into a pie? I mean, they have to fund themselves somehow these days, don't they? Uh, In the end, I had nothing to worry about. I was scanned and out of the lab in five minutes, as promised. The staff remained cheerful, given it must be a tough place to work, as most people who come through there are potentially seriously or gravely ill. But maybe they let through the odd, completely healthy person in order to keep spirits up. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yep, fingers crossed indeed. I hope this Richard Herring character... It's going to be all right. But I guess we'll find out in the next instalment of his thrilling, bollock-based story. And you'll find out whether he is completely healthy and there was just a smudge on the scanner or if it was something more serious. Ooh. But I am now very pleased to introduce this week's guest. One of the heroes of my childhood, really. 
He is Grand National winning jockey Bob Champion, who got testicular cancer at a time when the treatments on offer and the chances of survival were very, very different from what they are today. So I found this story and the pioneering treatment he went through absolutely terrifying. It made me very glad that I got testicular cancer in the 21st century, but it's also incredibly inspiring. I chatted to Bob in his back garden right by a race course. It was good. Uh, he wouldn't let me in the house, but you know, it was very kind to let me come to his home. I met his charming wife. I started by asking Bob Champion how he got diagnosed. It was back in 79. Right. I just got into legs and pains then. I didn't really think about it, you know, because being a jockey, I'd had falls and kicks there and everything. Right. And I just thought it was a result of that. And, yeah. Um, and had a fall at Stratford on a horse of Nicky Henderson's Fury Boy, and it fell halfway up the run-in. I don't know what it did. It crossed its legs. I don't know what it did, but um, I jumped up before the horse. He got up and kicked me where he shouldn't have kicked me and um, got on the horse and went and won the race, you know. Right. It was a long way clear. Right. And never thought any more about it. And um, I used to spend every summer in America riding because there was no jumping in England those times. Right. So I was out in the States and still not thinking any more about it. And I had a bit of a holiday in Mexico. And um, every morning I used to talk to this English girl. She was a sister at the Royal Marsden Hospital. She wouldn't have anything to do with me in the evenings, mind you. But uh, <laughs> And, um, you know, she was saying she was in America learning about a new chemotherapy. It was all above my head, didn't have a clue what she was talking about, to be honest. Right. Uh, went back to Philadelphia and rode a winner at Delaware and I started going out with his vet, a lady vet, mind you. And um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> that's okay, is it? Um, and when I managed to get her into bed, the first thing she said to me was, if I was you, I'd get on the first plane back to England. Oh, is that bad? That bad. <laughs> <laughs> that that bad put experience. me off my stride, I promise you. Um, so I got back and... Um, arrived in London at Heathrow and rang a doctor at the Park Street Clinic, and Dr Thomas, and told him what was wrong, not having a clue what was wrong. He used to patch us all up those days, and so he said, ring me back in half an hour and I'll have an appointment. And so I rang him back and he said, go to the Royal Marsden Hospital and see a Professor Peckham. He knows you're coming. And so I toodle along there, and now I'm get to the hospital and I realise it's a cancer hospital. Right. I put the fear of God in me. Of course. So had a look at me and two were operations that week. They said, come back on the Monday and we'll have all the results. And um, now I'm panicking. Yeah. They sat me down and said, Bob, it doesn't look too good. You've got testicular cancer, which I'd never heard of, to be honest. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, basically you've got two choices. Um, one, without treatment, you might live four or five months with a bit of luck. Uh, two, we've got a new chemotherapy. If you give that a trial, we'll give you maybe 40% chance of living. Right. So I thought, oh, my God, you know, now I'm yeah. panicking. And I remember, like an idiot, I said to him, well, I'll go back and start riding again. With a bit of luck, I'll get killed on the race course. Oh, God. <laughs> and the doc looked at me if I was stupid yeah. and said, Bob, you're not a bad novice chase jockey. If you were on a six-to-four shot, you'd give it a ride, wouldn't you? 
and that's how he talked me into oh, having great. the treatment. Yeah. And I remember I went to the Marsden, starting the chemo, and I was petrified, I must admit. You know, they stuck uh, Vinblastin, Bleomycin, Platinum, and God knows what else in me, yeah. six days a week, and it was horrendous. And I don't think I was the best patient in the world. I was frightened, I must admit. Yeah, of course. And um, the staff nurse said to me, um, oh, the sister's coming round to see you. I thought, oh, my God, here's a rollicking, you know, <laughs> being a bad patient. And who was it? It was the girl I met in Mexico. <laughs> wow. Um, she was in America learning about the chemotherapy. Wow. So that's how new it was. And yeah. the treatment was barbaric those days, I must admit. But... Thankfully, I got through it. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say you weren't aware of it. It wasn't something that people really talked about. Do you think other people knew about testicular cancer or was it just something that wasn't really discussed? I think very few people had ever heard of yeah. it and it was never discussed. Yeah. You know, men don't talk about things like that, do they? No, well, I think it's interesting to, from, you know, I don't want to say an historical perspective. Yeah. It almost is an historical perspective that how things have changed, but certainly at that time it would have been much more awkward to discuss that, I think, than it is now. Even now, I think it still is a problem for men. Oh, to I talk, think it to, is, to, you to know, and, um, you know, those parts of your body, you might talk, if you're having a heart attack, you might mention it. But yeah. um, things have changed, thankfully, but still, it's very, very quiet. You never see adverts or things in the papers, no. you know, check your parts. And um, I think they should do because... Quite a biggish percentage of people can get it nowadays, and it's a younger man's disease, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it uh, is, and know. it's so curable now, yeah. especially comparative. It's very interesting to hear you talk about it having six courses of chemotherapy. I had, I caught it a bit earlier than you did, I think, but yeah, but you know, I had one course of chemotherapy yeah. just as a precaution, really. And, and the treatments have got so much better, and the chances of survival are obviously much, much better now, you know, in the high 90s rather than... I mean, was that because you'd left it a bit too long that it was 40% or was it... I think that was it, how it was, you know, but I'd left it, you know, out of five stages, I was on stage four. Right. So I had basically left it too late, really. But it hadn't affected me. I was... No. I was riding winners, I was fit, and never thought of that, but I'd never heard of it, to be honest. No. And so you had a testicle removed, presumably? Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you opt to have a replacement? No, I didn't. No. Well, it wasn't really offered those days, no. you know. They were saying, you know, maybe one day you would be able to, but never got round to it. <laughs> Are so, you, how old were you at this time? You were sort of in your... I was about 30. Yeah, 30. Yeah, yeah. so I was young. Yeah. It wasn't really offered, and all I wanted to do was get back riding. And, yeah. Um, but when I was having the treatment, I never thought I'd ever get back, to be honest, because it was barbaric. Sure. It wasn't the disease that was making me feel ill, it was the treatment. Yeah. I can remember the days when I was allowed out of hospital, and it wasn't many days, in about seven months, eight months, the doctors said, don't go near anybody with a cold or anything like yeah. that because you'd get septicemia. Well, of course, I got septicemia. Oh. And my sister, who I was staying with, uh, rang up the Mars and said, you know, he's in a bad way and um, he's sweating and he's passing, going away, you know. Yeah. And Mary said, should I take him to Swindon Hospital? I said, no, they don't know anything about that type of chemotherapy. Get him right. back to London. And I remember my brother-in-law, Richard, driving me up the M4 and we're doing about 180 miles an hour. <laughs> and then the next thing, PC plods chasing us, <laughs> pulled us over and looked at me and saw how ill I was and gave us a police escort oh, to the um, 
uh, hospital. And, yeah. But they got me there about 20 minutes to spare. That was it because really? I, was, I was really going. Wow. And, didn't change my blood and um, funny enough I was drifting away and all I could think of this is peaceful you know it's nothing like the treatment and I'm thinking I'm passing away I don't have to go through it yeah. again and after the new blood a couple of days later I was back to having treatment and feeling rough again yeah do you think going through that because obviously which we'll talk about but you did bounce back in spectacular style and you did get back onto the horse and you yeah. very soon after won the Grand National. Was there something in that sort of near-death experience and in realising that you might have died that spurred you on? Um, you know, when I started the treatment, the doctors didn't give me much chance of riding ever again. Right. And I got through the first courses and they thought about finishing off with radiation. And um, they said, if we give you radiation... You'll never ride again because your lungs aren't good. Right. So I had to opt for another two sessions of chemo. Remember, they were week-long jobs, you know, and then it rolls over 21 days, really. So I had two more of those, and, God, I was rough, you know. But I thought, it's the only chance I've got to ride again. And, you know, when I did come back, it was hard because getting fit was virtually impossible because I'd lost about 30, 40% of my lung capacity. Right. So I couldn't breathe properly. And um, I've got most of it back now, but, um, well, I'm getting older, maybe not as much, but... um, But if I'd had the radiation those days, yeah. there's no way I'd have ridden at all. But clearly it was so in your blood, being a jockey and horse riding, that you that must have spurred you on to try and get through this experience, the idea that you would be back on a horse. Oh, good God, yeah. yeah. It was, I think when you're going through treatment, you need aims. Yeah. And my aim was to come back and ride Alden Eaty in the National because I always said he'd win a national one day. And how, how long How long was it actually after the chemo that you would... would... Well, I finished the chemo um, January 1980, and that was rough, you know. I'd gone down to about eight stone two. I'd never been eight stone two from the day I'd been born. I was even thinking about being a flat jockey. <laughs> and the weather was very cold. It was a bad winter, and I couldn't breathe. My lungs... I, cold air going in I just couldn't breathe Hmm. so I thought I'd go back to America Um, the reason there I didn't want the pressure if I was no good again you know if I couldn't breathe properly and I knew Burley Cox's horses would be in South Carolina that time of year and the warm weather might help me I would have got fit in England but I know it would have taken me three or four months longer Hmm. and in the States it was easier to get fit and you could do a lot more, put it that way. And my first ride back did win, um, but looking back on it, it should have won. Um, <laughs> but the thing that pleased me more than anything, I hadn't lost my racing brain. Yeah, I was in the right place at the right time. That meant an awful lot to me. The hardest thing really was that those days, the chemo, I lost all my feeling in my hands and feet. Right. I promise you, they were just like blocks. Right. Blocks of ice type of thing. Wow. You know, you, okay. you couldn't feel anything. And wow. I can remember one day I was walking around outside at Burley's and I must have stood on a nail. And I'm lying there in the sun and Burley walking by and he saw my foot and he's, he saw this nail sticking out of my foot. Gosh. I didn't even know it was in there. Blimey. So that's how yeah. my feet felt. And 
if it hadn't come back, there's no way I'd have ridden a horse properly anyway because it wouldn't have the feeling or... No, so how long was it till the... What, what year was the... Was it 82? The grand, 81. 81. So um, that is really... That's oh, it was really quick, fast, you know, yeah. because I'd only came back in June, Yeah. you know, in America, and then I came back here in September, and I rode two or three winners over there, then came back and rode my first winner back in England for Josh Gifford, horse called Physicist, really, so it was quite appropriate. <laughs> Great day, you know, but after that, things didn't work out great. Um, the horses were out of form, and usually the first person to get the blame is the jockey. And the owners didn't particularly want me, and um, so Josh put the other lads in the yard on them, and they were running just as bad, so he was looking after me in a way. Yeah. And I can remember he rang me. I hadn't had hardly any rides, and he said, go to Ascot in December, the first big meeting at Ascot, and ride two horses for me. They were um, both your rides, and I won the big two chases that day. Right. And from being a down and out, I was the golden boy in an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember from Boxing Day to um, February the 13th, I only had something like 26 rides because the weather was bad. There was hardly any racing, and I rode 16 winners, so... Right. And the rest were placed, so... You know, I was riding all right again. Yeah, yeah. And um, then February the 13th, Alderney came back to the track. And I was always said he'd win a national. And I remember picking up the racing post that morning or Sporting Life, whatever it was those days. And sorry, it was 66 to 1 for the national. Right. And 16 to 1 for the Whitbread trial at Ascot that day. As you know, jockeys aren't allowed to bet, but mothers are. Um, she had a few quid on him at 66 and on at 16 to 1, so she did well that day, I promise you. Right, it's time for our obligatory advertising break. Come back after the adverts to hear more from Bob Champion. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Thank you. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Can I Have My Ball Back, the award-winning podcast. That's my guess. I'm chatting to Grand National winning jockey Bob Champion. Did losing a testicle make you feel any different as a man and was the reaction of other jockeys? I don't know how macho the jockey... I mean, I imagine there's a certain machismo amongst jockeys. Um, the did jockeys they, were brilliant, were they? I must yeah. admit. Personally, myself, my brain, you know, you're thinking you're only half a man type of thing. Yeah. But thankfully, I found it worked again quite well, so um, <laughs> didn't worry about it so much. Yeah. Well, I suppose these victories and these triumphs sort of proved as well that if there was any doubt in anyone's mind about whether you were a real man or whether, yeah. you, whether you returned to form, it was yeah. a real vindication. I mean, that triumph after the adversity, and especially hearing, you know, it's very interesting and upsetting to hear what you had to go through, but to come back and triumph so fantastically... I mean, it's a real vindication as well. It must have been amazing for you. Right horse on the right day always helps, I promise you. <laughs> of but um, the pressure was pretty immense up there on me, believe it or not. Yeah. Looks easy now looking back on it. But, um, you know, I'd gone to second favourite for the Nationals, so I was virtually public property and, you know, you're rushing about. And I can remember less than an hour before the race, I had to go down to Beaches and David Coleman interviewed me, so... Then, you know, rushing back from beaches, get changed and out and ride a horse, you know, in a Grand National. But, yeah. you know, there's quite a lot of pressure there. But thankfully, I went and won it and um, did all the TV and press radio interviews, which you've got to do. Nearly forgot I'd arrived in a race an hour later <laughs> and one Josh really fancied. I got beat on that, so I've got to rollick it anyway. But he brought me down to earth very quickly, I promise you, which was a good thing. Good. And did you, I do a bit of running. I found since going down to one, it's more comfortable running and it's. I think it's sort of better only having one in a lot of ways. Is that true for jockeying as well? Did it make jockeying more comfortable? I think it made, you know, no difference. But I used yeah. to run quite a lot with a sweatsuit on before I got in the sauna and right. things. And um, I never thought about that, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and you now, you've, you've got a charitable foundation. Yeah, the Bob Champion Cancer Trust. Yeah, so tell them, how did that come to being and, and what do you do with this? Well, that came about after I won the National because people in this brilliant country, absolutely fantastic people, sent their winnings to the Royal Mars in care of me. Oh, wow. And there was quite a lot of money sent in. Right. And... Um, so Nick Embrikos, the horse's owner, and Professor Peckham, who was my specialist at the Marston, was saying, well, what do we do with it and that? And, you know, more money came in, and then they thought, well, we better start getting a little bit professional. So we set up the Bob Champion Cancer Trust at the Marston and looking into, well, testicular cancer to begin with, and yeah. we've been very, very big in the finding the new treatments for it and you know when I had it it was about a 30% chance now it's about 95% recovery yeah. so we've been involved in that in a big way and um, so we've raised over 16 million wow. and um, we've got two research laboratories one at the Marsden that we built and we run and now one up the Norwich Science Park which is the bee's knees let's be honest and, right. and that's our research is doing a really good job, not just for men, women as well, which yeah. um, is very, very important. And I put a lot into it because I see a lot of it's coming out of it, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, the testicular side, we've virtually cracked that anyway. You know, prostate is a big thing we're involved in. And I think you've got to be ahead of the game 
it's no good waiting till you're virtually dying from it to go and doctor. I think you've got to go and see a specialist before and all the tests and everything. Yeah. Uh, we've just come up with a new urine test, which is going to be very, very good. Great. And, um, you know, if you're caught early enough in any disease, you've got a good chance of living. But if yeah. you leave it too late, like I did virtually when I got testicular cancer, if I'd left it another couple of weeks, I, would, I wouldn't have been here. Right. You know, but I was just lucky. Yeah, I mean, it is yeah. so... I mean, that's amazing. To raise £16 million is obviously just so incredible, but I think it's the research side of it that's so important yeah. for all yeah. cancers, you know, um, and that if those urine tests yeah. start working, yeah. which I know lots of people are working on blood tests, urine yeah, tests, that's it, yeah. if you've yeah. got that early indication, yeah. oh, definitely, it's going to save you know. so many lives. That's incredible, uh, all that the charity's done there, and yeah. the money raised is incredible, but I guess one of the big things is just you being a high-profile person with this cancer must have helped so many people as well you know i think like even with me you know i've tweeted about it a little bit and one or two people have gone and got checked out and found out they've had it you must have altered thousands of lives and saved thousands of people just by talking about it at that time when people weren't really talking about it well i suppose it was a help let's yeah. be honest you know especially the run-up to the national yeah you know everybody knew what i'd been through yeah and um, then going winning the national and then basically i was public property and then the film, of yeah. course, and that, you know, went worldwide. So it got the message out there. Yeah. And hopefully, to me, if it saved one person's life, I'm happy. Of course. But I'm sure it's... Well, I'm sure with everything you've done, yeah. you've saved a yeah. lot, lot more people's yeah. lives. Not everyone can rely on having sex with a vet who will diagnose you with testicular cancer. You can't rely on that. So no, you can't, actually. You, <laughs> you have to go and get checked out. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it's a very funny way to find out yeah, that you've got it. Uh, yeah. It's such an amazing story, Bob, obviously. Uh, I think with the perspective of what I've been through, to see the difference of just, yeah, like you say, 40 years ago is astonishing. And I think also what's terrific, as someone who's recently had testicular cancer, is to see people three or four decades after they've had testicular cancer especially in your case when it was so touch and go to still be here and i think that's the thing that people should bear in mind that this is a survivor and as you say a lot of cancers are, are getting increasingly survivable but testicular cancer is more or less there so, yes which you know and it's you know, been hard work yeah. um, with all the scientists and everything yeah. they do a great job i don't think they get enough praise for the work they do you know we've been very lucky we've got a great team yeah Great. And you were honoured, was it last year? Did you get the honour from the, was it CBE? Oh, I got the CBE yeah. um, a few months ago, yeah. yeah. It seems like a long time in coming, I have to say, Bob, partly, oh, but... Uh, if I was very stuff, fortunate. But, uh, I'd had an MBE after I won <laughs> okay. the National and then, yeah. um, you know, get the CBE. Yeah. Well, that's the icing on the cake, for yeah. me, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's very well deserved. Uh, thank you for talking to us and thank you for sharing that. As, uh, you know, I think it's very important. Thank you. So that was Bob Champion. And, you know, maybe I'm setting my sights too low just to get an award for the podcast. I could get a CBE, can I? Or an OBE. I'm a one bald educator. Now, at the start of the series, my... <laughs> now, at the start of the series, my uh, very optimistic producer, Ben Walker, who, to give him his credit, he wrote that one bald educator joke. I don't want to take the light away from him on that. That was all him. And that's the kind of person I'm working with. So don't judge me. Don't say Rich Terran came up with an amazing one bald educator joke. It was Ben Walker. 
I'm very indebted to him. He insisted we set up an email address. I thought it was a stupid idea, but he's done it anyway. It's at cihmbb at gmail.com. So that's can I have my ball back? Kahimabubba at gmail.com. And I was wrong. Ben was wrong about the one board educator joke. I was wrong about the email. You have been getting in touch already with your scrotal stories. And I have dug deep into my big sack. There's plenty of room in there. Now there's just one testicle. It's my mailbag. And I'm going to share a few of those stories with you now. First up, this email entitled Post Orchidectomy Insomnia came in from Grant. Orchidectomy, of course, is the removal of your orchid. Hi. I had my left ear removed back in 2013 at the age of 50. Luckily, it was caught early and I've had no problems since. About two months after my op, I went back to the doctor because I wasn't sleeping at all well. I thought this was due to the stress and anxiety of what I'd been through. He asked how much sleep I was getting, and when I said about five hours, he said most men of your age would give their left nut for that much sleep. After about five seconds of silence, his face paled and he profusely apologised for five solid minutes. I pissed myself laughing and replied, tried that, no good, can I have some pills instead? He said, no, get out and do some mindfulness exercises. He was the doc who diagnosed me and got me sorted. A good man. And there's lots of comedy that comes up, as hopefully this podcast is showing. Yeah, there's loads of phrases that we just use without thinking, and it's kind of hilarious that a doctor would do it if that was an accidental use of that particular phrase. That was fairly insensitive, but luckily I think most people would laugh at that. And I think, I hope, again, with this podcast and with the book and this story in general that it shows the power of being able to laugh in the face of cancer, of testicular cancer, when these things happen to us. I really found finding the funny side of stuff incredibly helpful. Uh, Peter emailed to tell us about his experiences with a rare type of lung cancer, something that only affects one in three to four million. Uh, He remarked on something I discussed with Dr. Sarah Kayat in the last episode. He said, seven years later, my cancer has still not come back. However, I just wanted to say that I completely agree about the terror now when anything related to the cancer area comes up. I'm terrified every time I get a cough that it's back and I can get sent down a big spiral back to the day when the doctor gave me the original diagnosis. Every annual checkup means I'm usually not sleeping for two weeks before and then until I get the results due to the nerves. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. You speaking of this and mentioning of PTSD-like symptoms and the need to go and seek someone to talk has prompted me to go and see if I can speak to someone here. Worrying took the best years of my 20s. I can't let it take the rest of my 30s. I just wanted to say thank you for talking about this stuff. It's not easy for me to. Um, It's so great to be getting emails like that and hearing from people who as a result of me talking about this, have gone and got something checked out. And whether that's turned out to be something or not, in some cases, it has turned out to be testicular cancer. It's great that people are caring for themselves and looking after themselves. And yeah, I think the trauma, which I've just had a bug for three months and I've still got a bit of a cough and you think, oh no, has something spread somewhere else? Believe me, I fully understand (laughs) that that's a natural response. It does mean it's never far from your mind. I think if you are worried about it, if it's really affecting you to the degree it was with Peter, then yeah, absolutely go and talk to a therapist or just talk to someone who will listen to you. If you feel comfortable doing so, I think it is really helpful for you and for other people. And having done the shows and the book and having made that decision to talk about it, which I had a discussion with my wife about whether we were going to make it public or not, it was very good for me that we did in the end. 
Chris has emailed to tell us his story. Around the same time you had your ball cancer, I was getting a malignant melanoma cut off my head. Two operations later and a scan of my lymph nodes categorised it as stage two. And thankfully it hadn't spread anywhere else. So now I'm having the regular checks and hopefully the messy business is all behind me. On to my bollock anecdote. That's, it's nice, you know, it's nice to have non-bollock material as well on this bollock-based podcast. We don't exclude all cancers are welcome. Uh, I went to the GP with what felt like a squiggly lump attached to my left ball. I wasn't worried as such. Owing to my aforementioned cancer experience, I'd been advised to look for hard little lumps like marbles or frozen peas. So I didn't think this squiggly thing on my nut was cancer, but equally it was odd and needed checking. The GP agreed and promptly booked me in to see a specialist and have a scan. Before that, though, I had a urology appointment, and when he checked me, he told me it was nothing, a small cyst that wouldn't require any further investigation. But as my GP had already booked the scan, I might as well go along. Cut to two weeks later, and I found myself in the same situation you described, gown on, balls out, holding my tail out of the way, as if it was really ever in the way. The first thing that the sonographer said that struck me as odd was, have you been anywhere exotic on holiday? I politely explained that I'd not been abroad for some time, but after I'd had a chance to process his question, posed my own to him. What have you seen in my ball bag that would prompt you to ask that? He just laughed and didn't really give me an answer. So who knows? He then announced, well, Mr Wilkinson, you have something that in over 25 years of doing this, I have only ever seen once before. His statement induced a mild panic, but he reassured me it was nothing to worry about and said it was called, and this is the medical term apparently, dancing megasperm. He proceeded to turn the scanner monitor towards me, and sure enough, there in my sack was a little pocket of my swimmers, squashed together, going mental. He assured me again that it was absolutely nothing to concern me. I thanked him, left the hospital, and as soon as I had my phone signal, Google dancing megasperm, and turns out it really is a thing. Here we go, dancing megasperm is the ultrasound finding of continuously oscillating mobile tiny echogenic foci within dilated tubules of the epididymis. This is thought to represent clumps slash clusters of trapped spermatozoa. It would bring me immense satisfaction if you, the meat and two veg font of all knowledge, had never heard about dancing megasperm, but regardless, I hope you're well and not overly troubled by the old ball cancer or anything else for that matter. Absolutely amazing. I've never heard of dancing megasperm and I've done a lot of research in the arena of the penis, the balls, spunk, um, dancing. I'm very interested in dancing and I'm, I'm interested in things that are mega and I've never come across, so to speak, a dancing megasperm. But I hope I do. I hope I get to see that at some point in my life before I die. Well, there we go, my fine friends. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch so far. We will dip back into the mail sack in future episodes. So do keep emailing us at cihmbb at gmail.com. Remember, I don't see those emails. Only my producer, Ben Walker, does. And he's, he comes from a very sheltered background. Please don't send anything that will upset him but any stories you've got serious or funny or just interesting and as I say it can be about testicular cancer but I'm very happy to broaden it out into other cancers and illnesses and experiences if you think it's relevant we'd especially like to hear from you if you have any stories about prostheses or prosthetic testicles that's pretend testicles that you can get put into your scrotal sack when you've had one removed because episode four is going to be all about prosthetics would you choose to have one if you lose a ball did you choose to have one or did you expressly choose not to and why 
I'd be interested to find out about any stories you might have to share on the subject, whether it's you, a friend, or one of your pets. You can get them for animals. It's absolutely insane. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Do tell your friends about the podcast if you think it might be useful to them or they might enjoy it. Do remember to keep checking your junk and your other bits. If you've enjoyed the podcast, there is a book with loads more information, loads more of the story, and I think it's pretty funny. You can get it as an audio book. You can get it as an actual book. It's called Can I Have My Ball Back? It's available at all good bookshops. It's available at Audible and all good audio bookshops. And it's available at gofasterstripe.com slash ball. Can I Have My Ball Back? is presented by me, Richard Herring. Thanks to my guest, Bob Champion. I am indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Thanks also to Chris Evans, not that one, or that one, uh, by researcher, Alex Hiscock. George Lingford, the incompetent sound man. He's quite good, actually. Rich Evans at Syncbox. And also to the Bill Murray Pub and the Phoenix, where I recorded the stand-up. The music is by Gustav Holst. He's good, isn't he? I think hopefully he'll write some more stuff after getting this break. Thanks also to BMG Music Library. This is a Go Faster Stripe Sky Potato and Fuzz production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>